welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Young Turks, The Colbert Report, Le Show, Rachel Maddow, and On the Media. You know, there's a lot of holidays this week. Obviously, Passover uh, is at some point around here. You got Easter there, and of course... Monday was... Today I'm announcing the key decisions I will recommend to the president with respect to the fiscal year 2010. It's Department of Defense Initial Budget Recommendation and Fiscal Assignations Day! (laughs) That is the world's most dangerous party confetti. So what did Gates ask for? Please be half a trillion dollars to preserve the status quo, please. A fundamental overhaul of the Pentagon's programs and policies. Secretary Gates' budget marks the most sweeping change in military thinking in generations. A sweeping change in military thinking. From now on, they will shoot before they see the whites of their eyes. (laughs) What is the fundamental change? The secretary broke it down this way. 50% of the budget will still be used to fight conventional wars. 40% can be used on all types of wars, leaving 10% for irregular wars. Irregular wars? Now I know what you're thinking. No, we don't want irregular wars. We want the good wars. Not the wars you find in the bin at TJ Maxx. We don't want to get our troops ready to fight in Vietnam. Now, Gates and Obama will ask for $534 billion for fiscal year 2010, a 4% increase over the Bush administration's last military appropriation. Or, to put that another way... The defense secretary takes an axe to some key Pentagon programs. Drastic cuts in the military budget. Steep budget cuts. The Pentagon pushing forward, cutting costs and ditching weapons. Huge slashes to the Pentagon's budget. On what planet is a 4% spending increase a huge cut? (laughs) I guess people are upset with the change in military priorities. Apparently, Gates wants to redirect money away from expensive and less necessary technologies like ballistic missile defense systems, F-22 fighter jets, next-generation destroyers, and the $6 billion over-budget presidential helicopters that can evidently only be flown while drunk. Hey, you said build a presidential helicopter. You did not say it had to fly straight. (laughs) Well, at least they're not getting rid of multiple kill vehicles and the second airborne laser prototype aircraft. We will terminate the multiple kill vehicle. We will cancel the second airborne laser prototype aircraft. No! Not the laser plane! You're cutting the laser plane? That's my favorite, ridiculously expensive, yet comical-looking plane. (laughs) Give me one good reason why we're losing that. The ABL program has significant affordability and technology problems, and the program's proposed operational role is highly questionable. Let me translate that with my military-industrial complex to English dictionary. Let's see, affordability, technology problems. Ah, ah, it's an expensive, useless piece of (laughs) See also chrome-plated flying laser turd. (laughs) 
I guess you'd have to be a total jackass to be upset about them losing Laser Plane. Secretary Gates is specifically recommending the termination of uh, a program uh, of development called the Airborne Laser. This is a really important program we're developing, which gives us the unique capacity to hit a, a missile in its boost phase before it even gets into its normal arc. Please don't take away my laser plane. Please. It's, it's, it's all I have left. My laser plane. Please. Rosie, Rosie, Oh, laser plane. Actually, some senators and Congress people are already pushing back at the proposed military budget changes because they bring jobs to the states that build them. The F-22 jet alone is made from pieces produced in 46 different states. You know, I, I'm not an engineer, but maybe if you built it in one place, <laughs> it wouldn't be so expensive. I mean, if the shipping costs on Amazon are any indication. <laughs> but Gates is a military man. Surely he has a plan to fight off congressional opposition. My hope is that um that as we have tried to do here in this building, um, that the members of Congress will uh, rise above parochial interests and consider what is in the best interest of the nation as a whole. You are adorable. <laughs> the best interest of the nation as a whole. Get me a spoon. I want to eat them up. frustrating about all these Republicans is that they have all this criticism of the administration and none of it is right. You know, I talked about this a lot on yesterday's show, but there's so much actual things to criticize, but the problem is anything that Obama's doing wrong, the Republicans are in favor of. <laughs> they, they have this amazing ability to be nearly 100% wrong on everything. Like, there's this outrage going on in the country, and they want to capture it politically, and they're underdogs, and it's a good way to capture it, and the money's, our taxpayer money going to the Wall Street, and they, but they don't want that. They like it that it's going to Wall Street. So they ignore that completely, and they're like, oh, the out-of-control spending, ridiculous. Now, look, watch this. We're, we're going to go to a Hannity and Carl Rove clip, and I hate to do this to you, hate to subject you to this, uh, but... Uh, you'll hear in the middle of their uh, fake outrage and all their kooky stuff, and I'll tell you some of the code words they use and why they're using them afterwards. Uh, look at what they say. In the middle of it, Hannity says, "Oh yeah, yeah, that you know that we shouldn't go after Wall Street. That we should give them their bonuses." 
So then what the hell are you mad about? It's absolute nonsense. There, watch. Republicans are tearing their hair out about President Obama's socialist policies, but could there be a silver lining to all of this? Now, Karl Rove says the president's inability to bring about the change that he promised could send Americans running back to the Republican Party, and he joins us now. Carl, good to see you. I read your piece in the Wall Street Journal. Agree with a lot of it. Really? How does this send America, with all this move towards socialism, all this power grab, all this, uh, all these bad nominees and bad governing, how does it send people back to the Republican Party? Well, uh, Barack Obama, first of all, is governing very much different than uh, a Barack Obama campaigned. And so the divide between those two, the sort of moderate centrist who campaigned and the very radical uh, agenda that is being pursued by the president once he got into office, are causing people to examine what's going on. And, and look, the poll numbers are showing the Zogby has a poll out here that 50% that view his Barack Obama's performance as fair or poor and 49% rate his job performance as excellent or good. Now that, that is a very significant decline in my mind and there are other polls that, are, that seem to back this up. What, what do you think the reasons are for this? Uh, I think one that is now emerging is like when he, for example, said the other night at his press conference that, you know, we've got to go from an era of borrow and spend to one of save and invest. I'm thinking you're giving us a trillion dollars a year for 10 years in, in, in debt. You know, how do you make that claim? Yeah. Well, I, I, you're absolutely right. I put this in my column really? today in the Wall Street Journal. I think these repeating false arguments, and you've got the best one. Uh, we're going to go from borrow and spend to save and invest, and we're going to do so by creating $9.3 trillion, doubling the national debt in just over five years, tripling it, nearly tripling it in 10 years. Well, are, are you as worried as I am about the power grab to cap executive pay, to t mm. seize firms, to retroactively tax uh, AIG execs when they would the ones that put in the provision so they get it, uh, AmeriCorps, uh, reconciliation to bypass the historical voting process on important bills like nationalizing health care and cap and trade. Uh, I see more than anything else, there is a dramatic move to grab as much power as they can. You were yeah. in, in the White House. Do you see that? And is that a big concern? Do you think the, the American people get that? Yeah, you got to be very careful. I mean, you, you know, they are, they, as they said, they're going to try and make the most out of this crisis. And, and as a result, they're going to move rapidly on a wide variety of fronts. But when you legislate in haste, you, you, you can't repent in leisure. You can do real damage to the economy. Arrogant, dishonest, and um, radical. Bad combination. Well, I couldn't agree more, man. Arrogant, dishonest, and radical. I mean, if that doesn't sum up those two guys you just saw, I don't know what does. I mean, get a load of the dishonesty. In the beginning, you know, they were saying socialist, socialist, which they've been saying for a long time. And Power Grab, the first time I watched that clip, I was like, oh, hello, I got it. These guys are on the side of the Wall Street guys. As you know, the Republicans have been for a long time. But there's a reason why they're using those words. That's when it clicked to me. Because they, what they want to avoid at all costs is seizing the banks. Because the banks are insolvent they're basically bankrupt but uh, if the banks got seized the guys that you know run the banks and that uh, have a lot of money uh, invested into the current structure well they'd get burned and they should be burned now if you did real capitalism which you know Fox News claims that they're in favor of but absolutely are, are not you'd say hey listen you didn't make it Citigorp uh, you, you're insolvent we, so we gotta let you go that's how capitalism works it's not with a government intervention of putting more money in, right? Right? 
because you were supposed to be against government intervention. But no, what Hannity wants and what Karrove wants is for the government to put the money in and to just keep those guys afloat because they're paying their bills, right? They're paying Karl Rove's and Sean Hannity's bills. So what they say is, oh, no, no, seizing the banks would be socialism. And it would be, quote, unquote, a power grab. When he said power grab, I was like, oh, I get it. It's these guys are, and it's, it's wonderfully ironic because they're taking the populist anger that should be directed at Wall Street for destroying uh, our financial institutions. And that should be directed towards the Republicans and Bush who actually had deregulated to make this happen, right? And including Clinton at the end of his uh, term in 1999 and 2000, okay? And they're redirecting it for the people trying to solve the issue. And the best way to solve it for the American taxpayer would be to seize the banks. But if they do seize the banks, then the Hannity's and the Rose are going to say, oh, see, socialist, power grab. Because they want you to go in the wrong direction. And later on in the clip, if you saw, he actually even explained it. He said, hey, wouldn't this uh, be a power grab if you capped executive pay and if you seized the firms? I was like, well, thank you for outlining it. That's exactly what I had suspected, and you said it. See, he doesn't want the executive pay capped because those executives and the, that uh, power structure are the guys that pay Sean Hannity and Carl Rove. So, you know, how they funnel that money to them is an amazing thing. How they funnel those talking points to them is an amazing thing. How do they make the joint decision that they're all going to say socialist and seize power and grab power all at the same time to make sure the banks are not basically, in a manner of speaking, foreclosed on, driven into bankruptcy because they are bankrupt? That's, man, this Republican propaganda machine is an amazing thing. And they're a well-oiled machine, and from what I have seen, they always drive in the wrong direction. It's amazing. They are not to be trusted. I mean, look, that last part might seem obvious to some of you. Like, obviously they shouldn't be trusted. But I'm not sure that I understood the, the degree to which they are connected to the power infrastructure as well as I do now. It, it's funny because during the Bush years, it, it, it wasn't quite as clear as it is now. Because, look, if you're going to get the populist anger and they're working everybody up and say, Michelle Bachman saying we have to do an orderly revolution and Thomas Jefferson said to pick up arms, etc., and they're talking about how the, the overspending, etc., that anger obviously should be directed to the people who destroyed the financial institutions. But it's not... They're purposely directing it away from them. It's amazing. I don't know. I just uh, I, I think that they are they do an unbelievable job of trying to deceive the American people. They're very good at it. And if you don't know what's happening and you're a regular schlep watcher of Fox News, you might be like, oh yeah, oh, I'm so angry. Oh please don't seize the banks. Please let's give them money. Let's give them my money. Yeah, I think that'll be a great idea, Sean.
thinking of chopping off your limbs. This is the threat down. Number five, Defense Secretary Robert Gates, who this week proposed his 2010 defense budget. Defense Secretary Robert Gates today announced sweeping cuts to Pentagon spending. Drastic cuts in the military budget. Steep budget cuts. A deep slice into some major U.S. weapons programs. That's right. Gates is chopping our defense budget from $513 billion all the way down to $534 billion. <laughs> And listen to how he wants to cut costs. We will end production of the F-22 fighter. No more F-22s? Yes, it costs $150 million, but it has four cup holders. What will we do with all our spare F-22 parts? Sell them on Amazon? I don't want to be shopping for the latest Tom Clancy book and see customers who bought this item also bought half-finished F-22s. Buy them together for $150,799,000. If we stop building F-22s, we'll lose 13,000 jobs. What are we supposed to do? Order 500 F-35 Joint Strike Fighters and create 44,000 jobs? Is that what we're going to do? Oh, that's what we're going to do. Oh, okay. I didn't know. PrivacyHarbor.com private and free email services developed a solution for spam, viruses, and identity theft at the source. Not only is PrivacyHarbor.com more secure than online banking technology, but it stands alone by not taking your private content and selling it to advertisers. Gmail, Hotmail, and Yahoo do. Sometimes free email comes at a big cost. Go to PrivacyHarbor.com today and enter the code POD, P-O-D, and get your free and private email along with your complimentary report on the dangers of advertising for the internet users. PrivacyHarbor.com, because normal email is not secure. It uh, has been a spectacle this week. Here in the United States, the political firestorm that has erupted, surprising almost everyone, over the bonuses paid to officials at AIG, most specifically at AIG Financial Products, the part of the company that brought the company and very nearly the whole economy down. After the company received oh, $180 billion in uh, bailouts from the federal government. $180 billion? I don't know. Who's counting? Clearly no one. And um, the always... inspiring spectacle of congressmen and senators rushing to follow their constituents in uh, proclamations of outrage over this, and the equally inspiring spectacle of administration officials, including the Treasury Secretary and officials of the Federal Reserve, pointing fingers at each other about who knew when. Well, you didn't tell me because I, I, you, I had a meeting with you and you didn't say... And <clears throat> leading finally to the finger-pointing at, at Senator Chris Dodd, who took a, uh, a provision out of the legislation for the bailout that would have prohibited 
such bonuses. And after a week of hemming and hawing, Dodd finally admitted he did it, but he did it because the Treasury asked him to, and the Treasury finally admitted they did. And there are death threats. The, uh, the head of AIG, working for a dollar a year, Edward Liddy, former uh, head of Allstate, developed a program for getting tough on people filing for claims right about the time of Katrina. Anyway, he testified this week that uh, he, he's opposed to uh, the proposal by the New York State Attorney General, Andrew Cuomo, that the recipients of the bonuses be made public because he says AIG officials and executives are already getting death threats. They're warned to travel in twos and not to wear any identifying insignias. There's already, always, uh, already been a threat or a, a wish expressed that they all be strung up by piano wire. Interesting. Musicians weigh in. Which uh, suggests a, a certain meeting that must be taking place. You know, I mean, Blackwater changed their name. Bold changed their name. This meeting must be taking place right about now, don't you think? Folks, okay, folks, we've got the teleconference line for only an hour. Mr. Uh, Liddy's due, as I understand it, for a deposition or a deposit or something. So uh, let's get cracking, if we may. Okay, we've got some uh, AIG people here. We've got Mr. Liddy on the teleconference. We've got our people from Idea Farm. I'm, uh, I'm Jordan Delmarva, Chief Innovationist at, Del- at Idea Farm. Mr. Liddy, can you see and hear me okay? Yes. Yes, you look a little green, but otherwise... Well, our, our whole company is going green. <laughs> Funny, but true. But um, um, Okay, problem. World's biggest insurance company now has a TNP, Toxic News Profile. Bob Waldorf of AIG approached us on the problem two weeks ago. Bob, you want to dribble this one in for Deuce? Thanks, Jordan. Good assist. Folks, the federal government owns 80% of this company. They're... They're going to want to get some money back out of the investment later rather than sooner. True, but still in a lifetime time frame. We've got to sell off our legit, uh, uh, in other words, our uh, profitable businesses to generate some of that revenue for uh, eventual repurposing by the government. But all those businesses have the naming AIG as their framing. Now, that's a drag on the value of those enterprises. It's like a hedge fund manager goes home at night and says, Honey, you've made a great deal today. I bought two million shares of Hitler insurance. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So um, I'm not an idea guy. I'm not a computer risk modeling guy. I'm not a tax implications guy. I'm a what-do-we-do-now guy. So I went to the number one idea guy in a business he invented, the idea guy business. And uh, Jordan's marching orders were simple. Create a new identity for AIG, a winning, competent, likable identity. Uh, Yes, Ed. likable, right? Because the other two were, were, were heavy lifting. That is correct. And uh, Jordan, you got what for us? Uh, we, we gave ourselves permission to be really creative. Uh, we, we, we didn't just go all over the map. We drew a new map. We test drove more than 100 different strategies. We focus grouped 15 of those. The top three are what we've brought today, and the top two of those will go out for more testing, which will end up putting them in hierarchical ranking. So so you've got the numerical side of this pretty covered. Word. Laurel was the concept manager on our first finalist. Hi, everybody. I'm, I'm Laurel Bay. We, we went for a holistic approach. We, we threw out everything that we knew about AIG right out the window. 
the good, the bad, the ugly, the whatever. And we asked ourselves one question. What's the most likable animal today? Eh? Likable animal? Would be besides a puppy. <laughs> they don't stay puppies forever. See, this isn't that easy. We did a level three Google excavation of likable references to animals. The result was off the charts. Nobody, men, women, you name it, nobody likes anything as much as a penguin by a factor of three. So, meet Pete. Like... Insurance is cool. Penguin insurance is cooler. Excuse me, we don't insure penguins. Like... The, uh, the concept is very simply penguin. The naming appears on our products, our buildings, our everything. We've even got PNGN for a new stock exchange symbol. Excuse hmm? me, uh, is that supposed to make people feel that we're a safe investment? That we're, in fact, we're named after an endangered bird? In, in fairness, uh, some subspecies are doing very well indeed right now in certain um, habitat segments. You know, I, I, I didn't want to squash this but uh, because I think the execution was way strong, very, very believable, very adorable. But I think uh, I see Ed's trajectory on this. Also, uh, AIG Legal got early word that the Linux people would go lawsuit on us. Uh, they've been using a penguin mark for 20 years. So let's, let's move it on over to my man Solomon over here. Thanks. In my unit, we like to think that what we do is problem solving. Problem, three letters. Overcomplicated solution, change the name. The right solution, change people's perception of those three letters. Ed, how would you pronounce the name of your company? AIG, what is this, Sesame Freaking Street? And how would you pronounce those three letters? <laughs> well, I guess, egg, but... And after we've spent $175 million in a campaign so viral, it would literally make your head spin... You joined the 210 million Americans who pronounce it egg. As in, you feel safer inside the egg. Money you save in not having to redesign and rebrand your visuals goes straight to viral. We've got some great, great banner mock-ups here to show you. Uh, this would go on top of the Drudge Report front page. Can you read it, Ed? Uh, two successive images. The first is the AIG lettering and a beautifully rendered actual egg. Flash wipe to the second panel just says, Hasn't broken yet. Mm -hmm. Until some internet smartass hacks it to read hopelessly scrambled. You know, a tagline that tested completely off the meter was, It all begins with egg. Not the egg? No, sir. That, uh, that particular verbiage made a certain percentage of our focus group think immediately of either the chicken or the sperm, depending on demographics. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, Solomon, and take it to the next level personally. Uh, Ed, I know that uh, you've had your head buried in all the numbers stuff, but a very cool movement in modern branding is the female persona giving a company a service, medication, a name that suggests it's feminine, that it, it has goddess-type characteristics while retaining all its masculine strength. You think of Boniva, you think of Humana, you think of Cialis, for God's sake. So, introducing Insura. Lights. Insura. Protecting the future. The future of protection. Now, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer has expressed interest in being uh, the voice of Futura and joining our team. Lights. Uh, 
here are some things our test shoppers told us about Insura. Clean, strong, motherly, peace of mind, warm. Here's some things they told us about AIG. Thieves, monsters, traitors, piano wire. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a concession slam dunk to me. Okay. That's what you've got. That's what we've got. Three very contemporary, very strong visions. Penguin, Egg, and Insura. Three very strong executions. Pardon the expression. <laughs> Idea Farm is ready to focus like a laser beam whenever you want to go. Of course, impressions are right now being formed by uncontrolled media, so sooner we green button this. We're going to have a 5 p.m. video conference of my people on this tour. Really? facts the regional people on this yes, sir. Uh, we should have something for you by mid-morning tomorrow okay sir i thank you i wish you a good deposition So you've got 25 minutes left to declare yourself a sovereign Indian tribe. <laughs> now, from here on out, folks, I am officially the last of the Mohico Bears. <laughs> I don't recommend even trying to say that. But I am enraged. How dare the IRS take our tax money and give it to this out-of-control socialist dictator, Barack Obama. Did you know that he denied prisoners the right of habeas corpus? He's a madman. <laughs> I'm not paying my taxes this year's folks. It is taxation without representation. I mean, technically, I'm represented. <laughs> but not by, not by the guy I voted for. That violates my constitutional right to always win. <laughs> now, luckily... Our own Revolutionary War showed us the right way to fight this. Tea parties. I will let... I will let Fox News explain. Tax Day tea parties all across the country. I'll be coming live from Sacramento. Hannity will be in Atlanta. And Greta wraps things up, Washington, D.C. We're going to have Joe the Plumber. We're going to have John Rich performing, Newt Gingrich, Mike Huckabee, Rick and Bubba. And this kind of sprang up almost unexpectedly over the last two months in a spontaneous effort around the country. Newt Gingrich is right. It was really unexpected how these spontaneous grassroots political events that Sean Hannity is hosting in Atlanta, Greta Van Susteren is hosting in D.C., and Neil Cavuto is hosting in Sacramento just sprang up without promotion from the media. Now, another... (laughs) 
Another average Joe grassroots activist is RNC Chairman Michael Steele, who urged Republicans to get busy on the Internet by sending a virtual tea bag to Democrats. And the RNC is also urging people to send virtual Michael Steeles to tea parties, since the real Michael Steele is not welcome. But no one is leaping off the patriotism cliff more enthusiastically than America's life partner, Glenn Beck. That's why he's holding his tea party in an historic location. I can now announce that we're going to have our program live from the only place in America where I think it really, really makes sense, the Alamo. Yes. That does really, really make sense. So few remember that the Boston Tea Party began when George Washington and his ragtag troop of Union soldiers holed up in the Alamo surrounded by Nazis. Luckily... Luckily, luckily, before Napoleon could bring in his Terminator reinforcements, Hannibal saved the Patriot Army with his elite corps of elephant men. To this very day, we still rally around the cry, remember the Ewoks? Anyway, for what it's worth, I would like to throw my support to this grassroots effort by Fox News Corporation. I certainly hope that this occupation of the Alamo goes just as well as the last one. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to, cry if I want to, cry if I want to. You would cry too if it happened to you. Play all my records, keep dancing all night. controls no real levers of power in Washington. They have yet to settle on any national leadership at all. They did come up with a Republican budget proposal in the House of Representatives, and 38 House Republicans even voted against that. The GOP, in other words, is clearly in exile. But the conservative movement has found a reason to live. They have found something about which they feel very positive, something they are ready to rally around. I speak, of course, of teabagging. Angry taxpayers, or at least some of them, are taking to the streets in the spirit of the Boston Tea Party. More than 250 locations in all 50 states will hold rallies on April 15th. Americans sick of government ballots and wasteful spending, taking their message to the streets, and it's spreading fast. We're all over it. They're going to try and send tea bags to D.C. D.C. Uh, tea bag the White House. Tea bag the fools in D.C. Tea bagging. After spending weeks mailing tea bags to members of Congress, conservative activists next week say they plan to hold tea parties to proverbially teabag the White House. And they don't want to teabag alone, if that's even possible. They want you to start teabagging too. They want you to teabag Obama on Twitter. They want you to, quote, send your teabag and 
teabag Obama on Facebook. They want you to teabag liberal Dems before they teabag you. And all this non-consensual conservative activist teabagging is just the start. All across America on tax day, Republican members of Congress are lining up to speak at teabag tea party events. Even Governor Mark Sanford of South Carolina is getting in on the hot teabagging action. Senator David Vitter of Louisiana, previously most famous for his self-admitted very serious sin with prostitution services. He wants to give teabagging the Senate seal of approval. He has asked the Senate to commemorate the day of anti-Obama protests in law. In terms of now, no laughing offset or I will lose it. I'm only barely making it through as it is. All right, ready? Ahem. In terms of media, our colleagues at Fox News are not just reporting on teabagging, they are officially promoting it. Celebrate with Fox News. This is what we're doing uh, next Wednesday. We want to be with you and your tea party. If you have a tea party anywhere that we're not covering one of those, email me at glennbeck at foxnews.com. We may cover your tea party live on April 15th. Fox News Channel has described the tax day events on screen as FNC tax day tea parties. And they are dispatching some of their hosts to take part in the teabagging. But amid the celebration of inchoate right-wing bad feelings and the denunciation of taxes, spare a thought for the man who you'd think might have the most to gain from harnessing the power of mass organized public teabagging. That, of course, would be Republican Party Chairman Michael Steele. Mr. Steele apparently asked to address a teabag tea party event in Chicago next week, but organizers turned him down, saying that he is welcome to show up at the event, but not welcome to speak. The organizers did say that they thought the event would be, quote, a fantastic time for Chairman Steele to listen to what we have to say. Though presumably if he is being teabagged while doing so, the message will be a bit muffled. Joining us now, Air America's national correspondent and Daily Beast contributor, Anna Marie Cox. Anna Marie, thank you for being here. Good to be here, Rachel. The Boston Tea Party was about taxation without representation, right? The protests planned for tax day are about the plan to go back to the Clinton era tax rates for rich people. Is, is that the purpose of these and is that the parallel they're trying to draw? Well, it's the parallel they're trying to draw, Rachel, but you know, it is true that teabaggers are grossly underrepresented in Congress. Um, I'm trying to work on that personally, but, you know, <laughs> well, one can only do so much. I think David Vitter really is the right spokesman for the movement, though. There, that's a, a point well taken and which I was afraid to allude to, and that's why you're here, because you're braver than I am. Um, so, so many Republicans are addressing the tax day teabag parties. Michael Steele has been rejected. Is he not considered a true teabagger by the movement? Well, you know, he said in that, that GQ interview that he thought teabagging wasn't a choice, that you couldn't change whether or not you would be a teabagger. I think the teabaggers now really believe that it's something that they've chosen to do, that they can't, that they, they could change if they wanted to, um, but they won't. Well, in terms of what's going to happen on tax day and what's been happening with the teabagging of Congress, which has been happening through the mail, which I don't even know is possible, um, I've sort of never really believed that you can be held responsible for the people who say they agree with you. So we've had this enthusiasm expressed for the teabagging events by white power groups like Stormfront and by the secessionists and by the armed militias. And I don't think you can really hold the teabaggers responsible for that. But is there a radical message here? I mean, the whole idea here is about revolution, sort of, right? Well, 
yes. I mean, I, I think that, they, that the people, the teabaggers would like it to be uh, more radical than it is. But the fact is, people have been teabagging for a long time, and they probably will continue to do so. Fair enough. Um, most of the energy of these events seems anti-Obama. You saw all the you know, Facebook and Twitter things, teabag Obama, teabag Obama. Uh, but then there's the rejection of Michael Steele. And I wonder if there's also a chance that this sort of gets channeled into being uh, you know, teabag Arlen Specter, teabag John McCain against Republicans who voted for any of the bailouts. Well, who wouldn't want to teabag John McCain? That's all I have to say. But I really think, actually, it's probably going to be more directed at Obama. And this is this is actually very much part of, I think, the midterm strategy. You know, it's going to be teabagging, like, 24-7 when it comes to the midterms. Well, is, is there an effort to divide the conservative movement from the Republican Party once again, though? Because there is something about the origin of the current Republican Party that owes very much to the conservative movement, which was not organized within the party. It was sort of organized without and then took it over. I wonder if they're trying to cleave themselves again and say, no, we're teabaggers and you're not, and we're therefore the future of the, we're, we're the future of the right wing. You could say there's a big split between the teabags. I, I think that you're right. I think that they, the social teabaggers and, and sort of the fiscal teabaggers are really starting to move apart from each other. I actually just heard from standards we're not allowed to talk about fiscal teabags, but thank you for bringing it up. Anna Marie Cox of Air America Radio and The Daily Beast, it is always wonderful to have you on the show, particularly more tonight than ever. Thanks. something about Fox News, like Bill O'Reilly's show stalking critics with camera crews, for example. But usually we don't, partly because Fox News won't talk to us and partly because, well, it gets boring. But this week, Fox News crossed the line by actively embracing, some would say co-sponsoring, some might say co-opting, the tax day, anti-tax and government spending tea parties across the country. Americans outraged over unfair and crippling taxes as they fight for their future. Glenn Beck's at the Alamo. Neil Cavuto's live in Sacramento and Greta is in Washington, D.C. Can't get to a tea party? Fox Nation hosts a virtual tea party and you can check it out on the site for the location of a tea party in your area. Again, as tea Party Sweep the Nation. We're there with total fair and balanced network coverage. Live. Was Fox News covering a news event or helping to create one? That's what Fox News' Neil Cavuto wanted to know. Young lady, you're here. You don't have to be here. Tell the truth. Was it the rally or me? <laughs> Neil, I am a huge fan of yours. It was both. Was this a grassroots expression of a widely held frustration or an anti-Obama rally organized by right-wing pundits and politicians? Or both? 
The mainstream media, except for Fox News, couldn't quite make up their mind, being generally leery of rallies and marches, which, after all, are crafted as media events. That's why during the Bush administration, the media were repeatedly slammed by the left for undercovering anti-war rallies while flocking like pigeons to events staged by politicians. So maybe Fox News regular Michelle Malkin was right. The reason the mainstream media, most of the mainstream media isn't covering it is because they don't believe it's real. This is real. These people are here, and they're here to stay. Ditto, said former House Majority Leader Republican Dick Armey, whose group Freedom Works was a co-sponsor of the Tea Parties. This is a bona fide American uprising of real people. Maybe, as Fox News's Glenn Beck sagely observed, the mainstream media, except for Fox News, just doesn't understand real people. I don't think they are capable of understanding. But since the media and Stephen Colbert are watching, I'm going to speak very, very slowly. Certainly, MSNBC's left-leaning anchors saw the day as a movable feast of freaks and devoted many minutes to teabag jokes. But most of the coverage focused on whether this event, sponsored in part by Army's group Freedom Works and promoted by Republican elder statesman Newt Gingrich, was truly nonpartisan, and whether, having been largely promoted by conservative talk radio and Fox News, it was genuinely grassroots. After all, even some of the event's organizers say that they were inspired by another media event, CNBC's Rick Santelli's made-for-TV rant from the Chicago trading floor a couple of months back when he told Obama that the people didn't want him to bail out the mortgages of losers, but instead... Reward people that could carry the water instead of drink the water. That got the crowd going. We're thinking of having a Chicago tea party in July. All you capitalists that want to show up to Lake Michigan, I'm going to start organizing. It was a great TV moment, and the CNBC folks wanted it to last. Hey, Rick, can you do that one more time? Just get the mob behind you again. I love it. I have the camera pull way out. Yeah. You can't just do it at will, can you, Rick? Yeah, do it at will. Let's see. And he did, which seems to be what Fox News was trying to do on Wednesday. Some of the event's organizers have mixed feelings about that. Adam Brandon represents one of those event organizers, FreedomWorks, chaired, as you heard, by former House Majority Leader Dick Armey. FreedomWorks' heavy involvement in planning and organizing the Tea Parties is one reason the tax day gatherings have been called AstroTurf. But Brandon says his group is just helping the grassroots get off the ground. When folks come to us and we help them organize, you know, we consider that great grassroots. And what I consider astroturfing is when something comes together that claims to have a wide variety of support when it really it isn't there. So if you look at our heritage on the issue, we've been making a lot of noise for years now going back two Republican presidents and two Republican congresses, it's just people are starting to pay attention to us now, which is very exciting for us. Could that have anything to do with the participation of Fox News, which has just embraced the notion of Tea Parties and flogged it relentlessly on its air, including just about all of its hosts? For them to be cheerleading you is obviously very significant. But what I want to know is, is it significant in a good way or can it have a backlash attached to it? Well, it's definitely significant in a good way in that it gets our message out. But we've also had folks interviewed on all major networks as of this point. Tonight, Army is going to be interviewed on CNN. So we're getting decent coverage all over the place. 
So I welcome Fox's involvement, and I'm very pleased that everyone, you know, it's obviously reached your attention, and, and that's good for us. I sense hesitation from you in your answers. Uh, you, you seem loath to diss Fox News, but you don't seem entirely delighted to me, uh, as I read between the lines, with their full-throated participation. What is the risk of being associated with this particular media organization at a moment like this? I'm, I'm trying to answer your question as best as possible here, but uh, I, I do appreciate Fox's coverage, but I'm, I'm not overly concerned about it because I believe probably a week or two from now uh, we're going to be moving on to the next big issue. What I'm more interested in is the types of media that are going to continue to follow this taxpayer issue. Well, I don't ask the question for no reason. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric Odom of TaxDayTeaParty.com was complaining that the Republicans are trying to, uh, quote, ride on the brand that we created mm -hmm. and, you know, implied that he wasn't necessarily delighted to be giving them that free ride. If we can assume for a moment that uh, Fox is essentially a house organ for the GOP, mm -hmm. do you share Eric Odom's sentiments that they're kind of freeloading here? I do agree with him that it's very dangerous for the GOP to jump on this. We are a nonpartisan organization. We are fiscal conservatives. So obviously many in the GOP like to hear what we say, but we're not trying to elect GOP folks. What we're trying to do is own the fear of politicians, whether they're from Republicans or Democrats. Finally, going back to the questions of astroturfing, mm -hmm. and now that this is all played out and mm -hmm. considering the controversy that has erupted over the real grassroots versus fake ones. Do you wish that your organization had behaved differently in trying to mobilize the turnout on April 15th? Absolutely not. When we get our jobs in our organization, the first thing you do is you sit down with some of Saul Alinsky's books, Rules for Radicals, and we read that book and we study that book. And everything that we've been trying to do here comes straight out of those pages. So we're very pleased. You know, we have spent almost zero dollars on this effort other than staff time. And we've got tremendous media coverage of the movement. So for us, this has been a very, very successful tool to organize and to bring new people into you know, the small government conservative movement. There is one last thing. Mm -hmm. uh, when you appear at the Atlanta rally, will mm -hmm. you be... Um... Will you be in civilian clothing? Oh, actually, I am a Revolutionary War reenactor, so I will be showing up in a late war Continental Line uniform. Tell me about your shoes. There's no right or left. It's just just kind of a blob of leather with a buckle on it. No right or left, eh? <laughs> Only on your shoes, my friend. Only <laughs> on your shoes. Just don't suit me. Hey, I put some new shoes on and suddenly everything's right. I said, hey, I put some new shoes on and everybody's smiling, it's so inviting, no short on money but long on time, slowly strolling in the sweet sunshine and I'm running late and I don't need an excuse, so I'm wearing my brand new shoes, woke up late one Thursday, and I'm seeing stars as I'm rubbing my eyes and I felt like there were two days missing as I focused on the time Then I made my way to the kitchen But I had to stop from the shock of what I found A room full of all of my friends all dancing round and round And I thought, hello, new shoes, bye-bye, blue
pounder. Oh. Welcome to the rapport. I'm sorry, just uh, bear with me for a second. Yesterday was tax day. <laughs> and I am still recovering from a night of hardcore teabagging <laughs> with, uh, with Michael Steele and Joe the Plumber. I, uh, my head is killing me, and I cannot get this funny taste out of my mouth. I know, uh, I know it might help a little hair of the dog. Oh, oh, mmm, mmm, mmm. Oh, that sweet Darjeeling Poobong White Hojisha. But you know, folks, it's not just my head that hurts today. You see, after teabagging the White House and teabagging Lafayette Park, I wanted to do more. So this morning, looking for the next big protest, I Googled teabag. Well, folks, it turns out there is another definition, and frankly, <laughs> frankly, sexual, sexual insult does not begin to describe it, especially when you search Google video. But that is not what we were doing, you cynics. How dare these perverts sully the patriotic act? of a taxpayer rising up, standing over his government and delivering his opinion into the mouth of power. That takes courage. That takes cojones. But you know what, folks? I'm not surprised. It's exactly what the left-wing slander machine did to the 19th century hero of the Mexican-American War, Julio Dirty Sanchez. You sex of Some fun with uh, what's happening on television. All right, let's let's start with hardball because J.D. Hayworth is going to say some questionable things. He's a former congressman from Arizona. Harold Ford Jr. is also going to be on here uh, with Chris Matthews. He's also a former congressman, but from Tennessee, and he's a Democrat. Um, so let's check it out. Uh, Congressman Ford, it seems like that you have to be bipartisan whether you want to be or not. But bipartisanship is not a substitute for leadership. I think the country is interested in the president doing what the last president didn't do, which I think President Bush, uh, to his fault many times, did not seek Democratic support of ways as much as he may have wanted. This president's attempting to do this. I'd remind J.D. and I would remind all watching, the last time a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, passed an enormous budget that was controversial because of its tax increases and other spending cuts was back in 93. Not one Republican voted with that 93 budget. If I recall correctly, that was the beginning. However we want to debate it, it was the beginning or the, the start point of the largest uh, peacetime expansion of our economy. I know we all hope, whether we voted for 
this package and not afford or not, that that's what this package begins the process of in this country again. And if Eric Cantor and John Boehner want that, uh, want to be on the opposite side of it, they have every right to be. But don't root against economic success. Harold, we're not doing that. With all due respect, you might recall, if memory serves, 41 Democrats voted with those Republicans. They had legitimate concerns about the largest tax increase in American history. And what turned the corner, of course, was my election in a Republican majority in 1994, where we worked with President Clinton and balanced the budget and had tax cuts, and that led to the wave of prosperity. So let me get this right. Uh, J.D. Hayworth just said that the 1993 uh, package, they, all the Republicans voted against because it was the largest tax increase in history. Oh, well, that's interesting. And then that led to a huge eight-year boom. Hmm. What conclusion do we draw from that? They said, no, 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 later when we came in and demanded uh, balanced budgets. No. Then that's what led to the prosperity. No, 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 but it started in 93. You see, Jonathan Alter is going to be on the show uh, at the, in the third hour from Newsweek, and we're going to talk about this. Look, you're entitled to your opinions. You're not entitled to your facts. In fact, I'm going to interrupt us here. We got another clip from that, but I want to go to Bill Clinton because he made a very good point. Uh, this is clip number uh, two, guys, because he's on the Today Show with Ann Curry, and Ann Curry asked him, hey, listen, Time Magazine named you the 13th, the person 13th most responsible for this economic meltdown. How do you feel about that? And he didn't feel very good about it. Let's check out clip number two here. You know, this week you've been reading this article in Time Magazine that lists you as number 13 is on the list of who to blame for our current economic crisis in the United States. Should you be 13 on the list? Oh, no. Well, let me ask you this. My question to them is, do any of them seriously believe if I had been president and my economic team had been in place the last eight years that this would be happening today? And I think they know the answer to that. No. Hell no might be the right answer. Look, is, does Bill Clinton deserve to be on that list? Actually, he does. Uh, but it's for the things he did at the very end of his administration, 99 and 2000, when he allowed the Republicans to pass bills massively deregulating the financial industry. And that was an enormous mistake, and it led to some of the problems we had earlier. But let's be clear on our facts here. We did have a huge economic boom under Clinton from 93 to 2000. It was because of the actions that he took. It was because he went in the right direction, not the wrong direction. And Funny enough, yes, it was partly due to those tax increases, not tax decreases. So, you know, if the Republicans want to argue against Clinton, they have ammunition, but they don't want to use it because they're the ones who pushed for the deregulation in the first place. Unless, of course, you talk to Karl Rove, who was also on the Today Show, pretending that they wanted. He literally said to Matt Lauer, no, 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 we're the ones who pushed for regulation. <laughs> oh, you're kidding, right? I mean, it's a... It's a goddamn joke. The whole thing's a joke. The whole Republican Party has become a joke. I, I, you see me every day, man. I struggle to find exactly what is right and wrong on both sides. But the Republicans don't give me much to work with. They really don't. All right, so now we go back to uh, Hardball, and J.D. Hayworth is going to continue to make ridiculous comments. Let's watch. Would we be better off if we had eight more years like the eight we just had? I, I believe, although I've got my differences, although I've got my differences with John McCain, I believe he would have done a better job. In some no, no, areas, no, no, no. Eight more years of the policies we've had for the last eight years. Eight more years. The same of policies. policies we had? Well, the same policies that you guys uh, had the last eight years in Congress. Jobs, eight more years of that. that. No, the economic policies sure. that led us to where we are right now. We should have eight more years of that. We'd be better off. 
to where we, we got now. Have, we should have had, look, the tax cuts I fought for that I worked on the Ways no, and Means No, 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 I'm asking you a simple question. That's part of the eight years. The Republicans years. have bet. controlled the White House for eight years. Would we be better off having eight more years of that policy of the Republicans for eight more years? Would we be better off? Low taxes, uh, strong national defense, and good economic growth? Yeah, I'll take that. Well, but no, that's not what we got. <laughs> we have an economic look, look, catastrophe on our hands after the last eight years. You know, maybe we have nobody buying anything. We have nobody wait, selling wait, houses. Wait nobody selling cars. If you want to get, get into the whereas, you think this, this is you good? Can go back and take a look. No, I'll tell you what was bad: the sneak attack on our economy, the dress rehearsal that was the debacle of IndyBank when Chuck Schumer helped get that started, and oh, the guy please. in the background, George Soros, manipulating all the currency. You want what? to keep that going? <laughs> That's what's going on here. The fact is, you mean the economic situation we face? right now Chris. is the result of not of the administration policies. Go take you mean, a look at what I, I, Paul I, I, you can talk fast, but I don't know what you're talking about. This is Are why you the saying the Bush economic policy isn't where we got today? I don't understand what, what you're talking about. George is, Soros, what are you talking about? You're not well, talking about the fiscal and monetary Paul policy of this administration. Go back and take a look at what Paul Kanjorski said on C-SPAN a couple of weeks ago about how the economy got in the mess it was in. I'll tell you this, on balance, six of the eight years were strong years. Did we have a meltdown? You bet. Do I want to see a meltdown continue? No. No American wants to see that. But to have you set up a narrowly defined area where you can say, aha, I got you, and I really should be running for the Senate against Arlen Specter is a moot point, Chris. I'm no, trying no, to set no, up no, like, uh, uh, the, the, And maybe that's why Specter went for the package is, after all. But Chris, this is why Barack J.D., I think it's a. Re Let me get back to Harold Ford. This, it's a reasonable this is, this question. Is, this is why when someone criticizes the president's policies today, they ask him would they prefer the policies of the last eight years. I think that's a good question. Yeah, look, these Republicans are going to try to goad Chris Matthews with, oh, you want to be a Democrat, don't you? You want to run against Arlen Specter? He can go all day long, okay? But Matthews hammered him, and he, with a very, very simple question. And the bottom line is, I mean, look, that clip was critical because he cannot answer the question. He says, yeah, you betcha, I want the tax cuts and the strong defense and the la la la. But then Matthew says, but that led to this economic disaster. He says, you betcha, I still want it. But that doesn't make any sense, man. It's like you're so dense, you can't understand from simple evidence and facts and look at what happened. The eight years of economic design by Bush was a debacle of the highest order, and we're living in it now. And who are you going to blame? You going to blame George Soros? Oh, come on, man. That is pathetic. And you talk about something that Chuck Schumer did with IndyMac. Look, I'm not sure Chuck Schumer did the right thing with IndyMac. We covered that story here. But that was a pimple on the elephant's ass. Okay, your elephant's ass. You tell me that was a problem for the last eight years? Because Chuck Schumer did something with IndyMac and George Soros? The trades in currency? <laughs> and Carl Rove, again, on the Today Show, saying the same thing. Oh, no, 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 we had this thing figured out. But, you know, then the Democrats didn't want us to regulate uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And if we had, everything would be just fine. But uh, it's the Democrats' fault because they don't like regulation. This, this uh, Republican Party is absolutely, positively, intellectually bankrupt. They got, it's funny because they led us to a literal uh, financial bankruptcy for the whole country. But they got nothing left in the tank. All they got is that stupid, stupid tax cuts for no matter what the problem is. They're like an old witch doctor. The answer is leeches. 
whatever problem you have, I'll put a leech on, right? And here they're like, oh, suck the economy dry with the tax cuts. When it is demonstrably a bad idea, we lived through eight years of nothing but tax cuts, and it got us an economic disaster. And J.D. Hayworth, in the earlier clip, had said about Bill Clinton, oh, he gave us the largest tax increase in history in 93. And then what happened? We had eight years of tremendous economic success. Do the frickin' math, man. Oh, you'd have to be a knucklehead to put these guys in charge. You're going to let them ruin the economy again? Look, on a local level, you want to vote for Charlie Chris, Schwarzenegger, etc. You know, hey, that's a different question. And Schwarzenegger is trying to be responsible in California here. To the best he can. It's a bad, bad situation. But on the national level, to vote for any of these knucklehead Republicans, you, might not, you must not like your money. You must not like, uh, you know, you must like where we are today in the economy in this disaster. And finally, and we're going to talk about this more uh, later, but... They're all now saying, oh, no, no, it's Obama's fault. But you knew it was going to happen. All right. It, Rove said it in his Today Show interview. He said, oh, it was a junior senator from Illinois who told us that we shouldn't regulate Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Yeah, I know. Obama caused that economic meltdown of the last eight years. And remember what they said about 9-11. They said, no, you have to give George Bush a pass. He was only in office for nine months. And now what did I tell you? Within the first month of Obama, they would blame everything on Obama. Did I not say that? And guess what's happened? Oh, of course, within the first month. Oh, it's not Barack Obama's fault. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have this financial meltdown at all. Hmm. Oh, no, but don't worry. Bank on their bipartisanship. That'll work out. Thanks for listening, everybody. So this week is uh, this is the big week of responding to listener requests, and and you know this applies more to me than uh, to what I'm actually going to say right now, because the funny thing is that I'm still in the process of responding to these listener requests. So I'm not going to make a big announcement because I got to change something on the website before it becomes official. But I just wanted to bring it up in the sense that. You guys should all feel totally free to contact me at any time and give suggestions about the show or say anything else you might want to say because I actually do listen to it and take it into consideration. So, you know, so the one, the one small thing that, I, that I'll mention is, um, you know, a listener wrote in and suggested that we start a Twitter feed on, with a Twitter account to which, you know, a large group of you will uh, reflexively groan. And uh, and that's effectively what I did too. I, I'm not. I haven't. I haven't even dipped my toe in the Twitterverse yet. But you see, I'm already using the ling the lingo. But the way he he made the suggestion made a lot of sense. So you know, if you want to be updated about uh, you know every time a show is posted, then uh, you know that'll probably go into the Twitter feed and and maybe a little you know a note or two about upcoming shows. Especially for those of you, and I've gotten this question a lot, for those of you who are interested in helping provide clips for the show, I'm thinking about being able to Twitter what upcoming topics I have in the works and have that be a way 
for you to know what's coming up so that you can actually help gather relevant clips for that show. Uh, so these are just ideas I'm kicking around. But the point is, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get that started. I, that needs to be linked up on the website, and that, that'll be there soon. But in the meantime, you can uh, just Google the, the profile page on Twitter, I'm sure. But really, I, I only bring this up in as a way to encourage you all to contact me about anything and everything you might want. So as long as you're already going to the website to check out the 555 campaign, because, you know, of course you want to help support the show, and I've given you really easy ways to do it. Uh, you know, donate five bucks if you got it. Donate five clips that help uh, produce every one of these shows. And, you know, these clips have come from listeners like you. Or the easiest thing in the world, tell five friends about the show. Help spread the word. Write a positive uh, blog post about it. Send five emails. Call five friends. That, that sort of thing. As long as you're already coming to the website to check out everything I have to say about that then you might as well drop me an email as well and uh, just let me know what's on your mind. So I can be reached at J, which is my name, J at bestofleft.com, and uh, l let me know what's on your mind. So there we go, short and sweet. That's all I have for you today. Coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you from bestofleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who'll take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fun friend